This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this September 28th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. There's a little jump in our step, maybe even a little bit more than usual on this Wednesday. Of course, Wednesdays mean a fresh episode of Seriously. Our new podcast with Sapria Devetti is out. It's already ready for you wherever you download your podcasts. And thanks to everybody that checks it out at SeriouslyPod.com. There are some of the stories that we tackled in Seriously that we'll generally leave alone on this show. We don't want to double up on them. We know that there's some overlap in audience uh, but we still will get to a couple of things, uh, including I'm trying to decide whether or not we're going to roll the comment from Saskatchewan Member of Parliament Rosemary Falk at some point in the show today, wondering why the carbon tax didn't prevent Hurricane Fiona from touching down in Atlantic Canada. Uh, real brain busting stuff from your elected representatives in Ottawa in about a half hour from now. We're going to talk to Dr. Sajad Fazl, who has uh, well, he's he's inviting politicians to audition for his vote. Uh, he has a thread for Canadian politicians, says he doesn't care what your political affiliations are. It's not a partisan exercise. And so that's caught our attention. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And in about five, uh, maybe 10 minutes from now, we're going to talk to Brad Galloway, whose personal story is remarkable, uh, a former white supremacist who's now really committing his, his professional life and, uh, and a great degree of his personal life as well to combating uh, hate and extremism and terrorism in Canada. And he and his colleagues have been working on something. We're going to get into that. And of course, there's a tie in with one of the top stories this week, and that is the, the this group Diagonal and their founder, Jeremy McKenzie, with horrific and disgusting uh, comments about Pierre Polyev's wife uh, to start. Also disgusting comments about some journalists and a whole bunch of disgusting. Com- I mean, they've, they've, they've just got lots. It's like a buffet of disgusting comments from these, uh, in Mr. Polyev's words, uh, losers. Uh, these odious comments said uh, Pierre Polyev dirtbags. <laughs> the leader of the official opposition called them in an official news release. Uh, Sapri and I talk in seriously this week, as you'll hear in the podcast when you download it. Thanks to those of you that do. Uh, about what took Pierre Polyev so long. I think unequivocally, we can state the comments are absolutely unacceptable, full stop, no caveat, no asterisk, no qualifier, absolutely unacceptable. But where was Pierre Polyev condemning these guys when they were threatening other people outside his family circle? A fair question. We're going to learn a bit more about Diagonalon and some of this extremism uh, from Brad Galloway and a report that they've just conducted is, I think is going to maybe serve as a bit of a, well, a wake-up call for us. We'll, we'll wait and see what he brings to the table. Other stories making news, Alberta, our home province, is changing what it does with its graduated driver's licenses. Um, and we'll get to that in just a second. Plus, probably outside of politics, I would say if you're paying attention to the normal, regular news cycle, isn't this the coolest story that we've seen in I don't know how long NASA landing a, what they're describing as a vending machine sized satellite, not landing it, crashing it into an asteroid about the size of an Egyptian pyramid. Uh, this is this DART mission, they call it. Uh, Dimorphos is the asteroid about, John, 6.7 million 
miles away from planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So call it 10 million kilometers mm-hmm. from planet Earth. This thing's traveling at 15,000 miles an hour, this satellite. So, you know, what is that? 20,000, 22,000 kilometers an hour, something like this. Uh, this is part of a planetary defense mission. straight out of the movies. But here's how it all played out. This is video from NASA's Mission Control. I want to play you the full audio because uh, you won't hear a group of scientists and geniuses so thrilled about crashing something than you will from what we heard from NASA just a short time ago. This is like hours ago. How cool is this? Let's roll it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Seven, six, five, four. Three, two, one. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Awaiting visual confirmation. All right. We got it? Waiting. Waiting. And we have impact. We find the personality in the name of planetary defense. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Oh. What, oh, what a moment. Very few words can really capture this moment. This is beautiful to watch. I don't think we can even wrap our minds around the mathematics, the physics, the computing power that would have to go into actually pulling something like this it's insane. off. insane. This is <laughs> Like you said, it's straight out of a movie. And now it does make me feel a bit safer, though, that we're reaching out and and planning this stuff ahead of time. Because, (laughs) you know, does it actually? The dinosaurs got wiped out. Well, check this out. Avoid it. This is this is uh, NASA's administrator, Bill Nelson, talking about this. Obviously, pretty excited about the project himself. But but here's the why. This is why we've all seen it on movies like Armageddon. But the real life stakes are high. Uh, You know, life on the surface of Earth, including the dinosaurs, they were wiped out by an asteroid six miles wide that hit in the area of Earth near the Yucatan Peninsula. That wiped out the dinosaurs. So... If that kind of threat were to come and it were incoming, we'd be ready if we could find it far enough away, hit it, move its trajectory, so by the time it got to Earth, it would miss us. (laughs) This guy, too. It's like cast perfectly with the twang and everything (laughs) for the movie. He looks like the part. It's... (laughs) It wiped out the dinosaurs. <laughs> it's not going to get us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of all the other things that we're doing, we're like, uh, you know, we're like, hey, climate change is threatening human existence on planet Earth. And so we're going to ask people to to take some measures to try to mitigate uh, human caused or human influenced climate change. And we're like, nah, nah, nah. Let's blow shit uh, up. 1.5 <laughs> degrees. Nah. Big deal. <laughs> I've I've been to places where it was minus 20, and then I flew to Cancun, and it was plus 35. My body handled a 55-degree temperature increase. I'm not worried about one. And then we, oh, but asteroids. In all seriousness, though, you wonder if there was an asteroid headed straight for planet Earth. Mm -hmm. 
now you know we've 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 developed the science to be able to smash into them mm-hmm. uh would we be able to adequately push it off course if the asteroid was a big enough threat would we have the yeah. the artillery so to speak to push it off course and that's what they're going to spend the next number of years analyzing this is mm-hmm. just the beginning well, like it, the, you know it's they 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 hit it and that was the first part of the mission. And now they're going to analyze. They're going to, of course, yeah. go through all the data. That, you like how I'm trying to explain what NASA is going to do? I have no <laughs> fucking idea what they're going to do. But I'm a skeptic, too, because you saw Don't Look Up, right? The recent movie with Leonardo right. DiCaprio. Yeah. So the problem they had is once they hit the asteroid, does it turn into a million smaller asteroids that just pelt a bigger portion of the Earth? So I'd like to see where they go from here. But it's nice that, to know that we're working on a strategy. Yeah. I, I think it's that, that sort of a thing that if you're like a uh, hundred meters away, I don't even know why I'm going to say this. This is such <laughs> flawed. But but it's like, you know, shotguns, they'll have either the, uh, you know, the, the pellets yeah. or the slug. Yeah. And you'd rather be you'd rather be hit with neither, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're from a significant distance away, you'd rather be hit with the pellets, the buckshot, the, the, the buckshot, yeah. th- than the slug. Yeah. And so this is like about uh, nudging off the slug. Okay. You know, don't listen to me on any of this. <laughs> I just think it's I, I'm just impressed that there's people on planet Earth that are smart enough to pull this stuff off. It's out of this world stuff for sure. It yeah. is absolutely amazing. And, uh, and and by the way, and I know a lot of people are talking about when you reference that film with Leo DiCaprio, the whole, the whole thing about the acid. It was just a big metaphor for climate change, wasn't it? Of course. Wasn't that the yeah. whole movie was just a big metaphor we waited for climate too long, change. Now and, we have to leave Earth or, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cactus Sheriff, by the way, is is tuned in, or maybe it's Sharif, pardon me, says, if the chunks are small enough, John, they'll just burn up in the atmosphere and be shooting stars. Yes, but what if they're like large chunks? You know what I mean? Because what if this asteroid well, is that's, just that's phase two. We're going to have asteroid lasers. And yeah, you know, we, we just hit have it. A, have lasers and we'll just blow them all up. It's going to be like all those kids. What was that old, like the, the one of the original video games in the 1980s? And it was like Asteroid Blast yeah. or something like that. you got to get the... <laughs> Kids were training for this way before they knew. Hey, hey, while we're talking science and before we get to Brad Galloway, can, uh, can we circle back on something yesterday? The bugs? The cockroaches, the cyborg cockroaches. If you missed yesterday's show, The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy, we celebrate innovation every week. And I was really excited to show you these Madagascar cockroaches. Mm-hmm. They're about six inches. They're huge. I was excited, too. For a bit. No, I think they're, wait, six centimeters, six inches. They look more like six inches to me. Um, but but these things are remote controlled. The, the remote controls are powered by solar panels that are on the backs of the cockroaches, and they're going to be able to, uh, researchers believe, send them into hostile terrain, like, uh, you know, areas where there are, are toxic elements at play or where the environment is really damaged. And these cockroaches are going to be able to go in and, and, and gather the data that human beings will need uh, to react in a disaster circumstance or otherwise. Uh, So we talked about this yesterday. It blows my mind. I'm like, this is why they're on the leading edge. And then several hours later, you had an epiphany. Several hours later, you realized something that is key to the whole story. Well, you were talking about Android and and microchips. And I just figured I wasn't paying attention because, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. But I thought they were robots. I Mm -mm. thought they were little remote controlled robots. They're live. I know. So now I don't know how I feel about soldering microchips onto animals' bodies. They're I don't not know how soldering. Well, first of all, they're cockroaches. Okay. Right? As humans, don't you know, we pick and choose which animals we care about? Of course. Right? <laughs> Do we we care about cockroaches? No. Do we care about mice? Not yeah. really. Yeah. You know, do we do we care about like tuna? Nobody seems to. Mm. Dolphins? Absolutely. Sharks? Most of us. Puppies? For sure. See, I don't like the hierarchy. Here. Coyotes? Eh. 
right? Yeah. It is. This, this, okay. is, this is how we gauge. <clears throat> this is the problem I have with this. It's just the whole, you know. Yeah. The scale of, you know, which life matters more? Who's going to look out for the cockroaches? <laughs> I don't mean Hey, that. we figured out a way to send cockroaches <laughs> into hostile <laughs> environmental disaster zones to, to, to look out for humankind. Yeah, but who's going to think about the cockroaches? But couldn't we just make something remote controlled? I don't know, John. Maybe if somebody does, they'll <laughs> like wind up in a future edition of The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. It's all fun and games till your dog has a microchip soldered onto it in the future, Ryan. But see, this is why you can't take it from cockroaches to dogs. Nobody would tolerate it. Uh, you can check out past episodes of Real Talk anywhere you find them. Uh, Brad Galloway's coming up in just a second. Uh, but before we get to Brad, we wanted to remind you of a couple of things, and that starts with our friends at Apex Automation. Uh, we tell you about the, the call they're putting out to professional engineers across the country. They're always hiring. Their team is growing rapidly. Well, I had a chance to visit the team at Apex Automation. If you're listening to this on the podcast, like most of you will, I'll do my best to describe what you're seeing on YouTube right now. They took me behind the scenes. This is a testing facility, so this is not actually functioning right now in the sense of running a SAG-D facility. John, they were teaching me about steam-assisted gravity drainage and how they've been automating cool. the process to help companies find more efficiencies. They take the workers out of the mundane tasks, and it, it gave me a better idea of, of exactly what their team does. So here they are testing software that takes months and months of some of the most skilled engineers to put together. And by the time they're done... They have absolutely transformed not just the efficiency of the companies that they're working with in, in mining and resource extraction and brewing and a ton of other things, but of course they're also allowing the, the human power to be transferred over to tasks that provide a bit more fulfillment. That's what they're all about is giving people their time back. You can learn more at apexautomation.ca. If you're wondering what your plan's going to look like for this upcoming Thanksgiving weekend, you got a couple of, well, I guess about a week and a half now to go. Friesen Brothers wants to make it easy for you with their Thanksgiving dinner boxes. These are absolutely fantastic. The best deal you're going to find, $60 to feed four people. That's 15 bucks a person for roasted turkey, baked potatoes, all the fixins, roasted root veg, gravy and cranberry sauce, and their famous sourdough dinner buns. 15 bucks a person. It's already prepared. You just heat it up in your oven and serve it. If you need 10 times the order to feed 40, they can do that too. Go to Friesen.com. Alberta grown, Alberta owned. Our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are really eager to let you know and remind you that, uh, hey, through the winter months, a 4x4 vehicle uh, for a lot of people is going to be the best move you can make to ensure your family's safety. And Jeep, the most trusted SUV brand in Canada, the best selection of Jeep is at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Of course, they've also got the full lineup of those classic Ram 1500s. The Dodge lineup, too. Those Dodge Durangos are looking incredible. Whether you're looking for something small and as fuel efficient as possible or something that can get your family to hockey practice or up to snowboarding in the mountains, trust Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And for those of you that are maybe looking to win your vehicle as opposed to pay for it, may we recommend the Covenant Foundation Lottery? You go on, on their website right now at covenantfoundationlottery.ca and yeah, you can tour that $2.2 million dream home. Absolutely stunning. But if you follow the links, you can check out the vacations, the vehicles, the 50-50 as well. A chance to visit the Maserati factory in Italy to win a 
a couple of BMWs, Alfa Romeos. They've also got a couple of beautiful Lexus products as well. Now, here's the thing. You can win the vehicle or take the cash. Get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Well, this is the story that's uh, obviously got people talking uh, across the country, uh, a group you may have heard of, maybe not. You probably have if you're a regular subscriber to this show, Diagolon. It's an extremist group in Canada on the far right, led by a man by the name of Jeremy McKenzie. Uh, Now, most recently, his name's popped up because of horrific comments that he made about sexually assaulting Pierre Polyev's wife prompting the conservative leader to release a statement just a couple of days ago where he referred to this group as dirtbags and losers. He talked about their odious comments. He says, my office has referred these comments to the RCMP to assess whether criminal charges should be laid. The RCMP has since confirmed an investigation is underway. Says Mr. Polyev, people can attack my politics. They can call me names. They can protest my ideas and what I stand for. But threatening my wife and family is appalling and I will not tolerate it. Leave my family alone. Of course, it's got people, I think, trying to understand better who this group is and what they represent. And that includes our next guest. Brad Galloway's got a remarkable personal story. Quite some time ago, Brad found himself in the clutches of white supremacy. His journey through life since has been nothing short of remarkable. He now is working as a caseworker with the Evolve program, the Organization for the Prevention of Violence. He's also the coordinator at the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism at Ontario Tech University. It's a pleasure to welcome Brad Galloway to the show. Thanks for making time for us. A good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me in. Yeah, we're, we're hoping for a perspective check from you, Brad, on on this group and and other forms of uh, extremism in Canada, the threat that they can pose to the general public. And, and of course, what you and your group have been endeavoring to discover here, we're going to put some data in front of people and get you to analyze it uh, for us. Uh, but as mentioned, you come to this from a position that, that, that a lot of people just can't understand your firsthand experience, a journey into extremism and then out. Can you set the table for us? Help us understand what your journeys looked like? Sure. I mean, uh, what's what's not unusual is how uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, become uh, involved in different things. And I think in, in my case, it was it was a case of that. It was a, it was a search for identity, belonging, looking for uh, uh, answers to the questions that are out there in the world uh, that we uh, all struggle with. And I, I ended up uh, involved in a group that um, had those black and white answers, had those uh, simplistic um, uh, things that seemed reasonable as a, as a person in my late teens. And uh, from there, I, I ended up spending over a decade in uh, the far right movement in Canada. And from there, I, I um, you know, uh, I look back at those years in my life now and I say like th- this, those were the most uh, challenging years probably uh, of my life and uh, regret, guilt, shame, all of those things come come to mind. But I, I think most of all is that this isn't something that, you know, is limited to certain people that will end up, you know, getting involved in these groups. This A wide range of people can become involved in, and with the uh, sort of 
salad bar extremism that we're talking about. Uh, these groups are uh, adaptable. They have all sorts of ideologies that they sort of place out there uh, under the whole larger uh, scale of uh, right-wing extremism across Canada. Did you grow up in a, in a circumstance where there was extremism uh, around you? I mean, we oftentimes hear people invoke that metaphor of the frog in the pot of water, mm. right, that starts cool and slowly heats yeah. up until it boils and, and takes the frog's life. What, what was it like for you? No, I think, uh, uh, well, you and I both know growing up in Canada, uh, as, a, as a youth, I played hockey, uh, sports, uh, regular school kind of situation. Uh, it wasn't wasn't until the teenage years where uh, things started to, uh, I don't know, figuratively go downhill, if you will, uh, with, with just risk-taking behavior. And, it, and one thing led to another where I met a friend who had become involved in it. And it was that social in-group, that identity, that sense of belonging and mission and, uh, you know, um, feeling like uh, finally had a, a place to hang my hat as a, as a young person because I felt like um, I wasn't fitting in in other, in other social circles. What, where did your road out begin? Uh, where, where did what, what was the first influence on on your life and how did that ultimately lead to what you're doing now which is a dramatic departure from where you were yeah i think i think the disillusionment with the ideology was the first sort of things that were happening with the whole like like how could this be this is there's no way that this is you know all the conspiracy theories all of the different things i started thinking those through and I was working in, in a public uh, job where I was working around many different uh, uh, people of different ethnicities and, and looking at the two separate lives I was living and things like that. So that those those types of things uh, really sent me in a different way. But also, also my my wife throughout the time uh, was always having me question uh, what this what these groups were and what they were, uh, what the future of that might might hold for us as a family. Um, and we, you know, uh, obviously looked at it as something that would that was going to, uh, you know, completely destroy our, our our lives going forward. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, now here you are actively. I mean, you've, you've committed your, your professional life and I would imagine a probably a pretty significant degree or, or element of your personal life as well to combating extremism in Canada, to combating hate, to, to, to counter terrorism ultimately uh, and we'll talk about that in, in just a little bit i think part of that probably has to be for the average canadian recognizing threats where they lie and calling mm -hmm. things what they are and understanding why things or groups or ideologies are are problematic in this circumstance the the news story that i invoke in introducing you this group diagonal uh, their comments mm -hmm. ab about the leader of the official opposition's family uh, what do we know about this group Diagonal? Pierre Poliev, I have my suspicions. He, he's not telling the complete truth, says he was not aware of them until a short time ago. I don't know if I believe that. I also don't know if that's the most important element of this story. Who are we talking about? I mean, uh, there over the last number of years has been a, a, a definite uptick in, as we're hearing in the news, uh, but particularly in our space of research as well. Uh, in responding to violent extremism uh, in Canada and internationally, of uh, this accelerationist uh, background groups, where you know they're they're looking for imminent war, accelerating any problems, uh, any issues that come come to mind for them. Uh, that's that is exactly what uh, they're after. They're trying to um, 
mess with politics, uh, use violence, fear, threat, uh, all things that are, you know, uh, quite similar to your standard, uh, what we know as uh, violent extremist groups. However, uh, within within those within these groups, there's uh, you know di uh, some different factors of uh, you know the ideologies can be differentiating. Uh, it's not always just uh, you know racist or uh, national socialism or whatever. It's often a mixture of sort of neo-fascist. Uh, um, white supremacist ideologies within it. Um, and it, it's, it seems to have, some of the groups have identified leaders, but uh, uh, it's also a common theme to see like, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, a certain leader. This guy, uh, the ringleader, Jeremy McKenzie, uh, has issued sort of a qualified, tepid apology to Pierre Polyev, but he's also kind of trying to portray himself as not that bad, right? He's, he's, he's saying, ah, Mr. Polyev, I don't know, he's taking this seriously. He's like, We're, I'm just an internet comedian, he calls himself. He says, this is just an online podcast. This is, you know, this is nothing, really. He's trying to sort of portray, he says, we're not extremists. He says, we're a group of, of conservatives in Canada and the United States that, that have some strong convictions and opinions on how politics and life should be. Uh, you don't look convinced. <laughs> no, um, uh, often, uh, obviously, with, with my own life experiences, I know what the excuses are. I know how how they shelter themselves under. Oh, this is just we were just kidding, or we were just doing this, or we were, you know, we were just playing around. But that's the point: is to muddy the waters, murky the waters, and and then I mean, we have to get back to what the point is. And and my colleague Barbara Perry often says that they're looking for civil war. They want to overturn. Uh, the current corrupt illegitimate order as they see it. So uh, this is not um, some of the comments that have come from from him over the last uh, while uh, are not surprising to me, but are are definitely uh, we don't want to see anyone who's in the public, uh, you know, holding public office that is, is getting threatened. Uh, and mind you, no Canadian should have to deal with that kind of uh, those those types of threats. So. We're talking to Brad Galloway. If you're just joining us live streaming audio on the Mixler audio app, uh, Brad and his colleagues have been studying hate extremism and terrorism in Alberta, in Canada and beyond. Would the average Canadian be surprised at the state of affairs in this context? Is there a greater threat than we potentially realize the average citizen? Um, it's hard. It's it's hard to manage threat, but I would say at this point uh, there is a, a definite divisions. And when we when and that's what these groups we have to understand as Canadians that th that's what these groups want. They want to instill fear and division in society so that uh, people uh, continue to live under this. Uh, it's us us against them vibe, which we uh, we do not want to promote those things. We want to promote uh, inclusion and uh, togetherness and and equity and all of those uh, nice words uh, that these guys uh, like to break that up and and create these uh, different both both sideisms, if you will. People can check out preventviolence.ca if they'd like to read this report in its entirety. It's interesting because right off the hop, uh, Brad, it's split up into ideologically motivated extremism, religiously motivated extremism, and then politically motivated extremism. Uh, when we talk about this, do we need to approach all three separately or are there common threads that allow us to take this on as one? 
mean, of course, there's going to be common threads. I think uh, we also have to, when we started talking, I was sort of talking about like the salad bar of ideologies. So ideologically, there's so much more that we need to learn so that we can uh, develop good, uh, you know, counteractions to uh, these these different types of groups. Uh, when we talk about the religiously motivated extremism, uh, unfortunately, this is something that the, the world has been dealing with for a long time. And, and we are building uh, responses across, across that based on what we're facing. Um, and and you know this it, it just gets to a point where we where we need to try not to cloud everything uh, and and I think we're doing um, we're doing a pretty good job with uh, at, at the evolve program trying to provide resources particularly for families and individuals who are trying to uh, leave these uh, these movements behind. I want to ask you in just a minute about how to kickstart those conversations. I guarantee there's going to be people that have come across this podcast and this is resonating with them because somebody in their personal life, somebody that's close to them uh, is in the clutches of this type of ideology and, and people worry about their loved ones, regardless of the perspective that they may have or where they're coming from. One of the points I think is important to make, and I'd be curious for your insight. Uh, it's noted in the summary here again, it prevents violence, prevent violence.ca. That's where I'm reading this, uh, that since your organization, the organization for the prevention of violence published its first report uh, about hate motivated violence, extremism and terrorism, uh, some things have happened and the landscapes changed a little bit, including the pandemic, COVID-19 protests against public health measures, uh, what's described as tense elections in the United States, to put it lightly, and the backlash to racial justice movements. What's happened through your eyes? What have you seen or how are you processing it or analyzing it over these past few years? I mean, we have all these these different factors that come into play and, and we can we can hone in on different ones, such, such as the COVID-19 pandemic. We look at that and we say, uh, you know, when we look at that, there was a lot of a lot of people saying, oh, there is an increase in like radicalization during this time and all of this type of thing. We have to why I'm mentioning this one is that we have to be very careful about how we um, approach those types of things. We, you know, when we say something is increasing, we've got to know why that is and, and what that looks like as and and I think with um you know, the different things that were happening in the United States, as I was alluding to earlier, the us versus them and the whole uh, divisional uh, divisional politics, like in the, you know, uh, when we're looking at that, it, it gets to be now we're parceling these things and, and those are things that separate us. So we, we want to make sure that, yeah, you know, we do identify these things as, as uh, items that can, uh, you know, provide a a ground for extremist behavior and extremist actions, but we want to make sure that we're we're also saying that um, if we identify them and give give enough information, that we can we can really boil this down and, and try to respond to it in a good manner. Is it accurate to say that like anger and or fear is driving a lot of this? Sure. I mean, I mean, look, we're all scared of of things. We're all afraid of of. Uh, I mean, a global pandemic. Like what. Uh, what else could there be that that's going to be more scary? Well, you were talking about early, perhaps an asteroid maybe in that. the sky, but uh, maybe that. But uh, uh, there's um, there are some things that uh, particularly people don't understand when we think about terrorism. We think about violent extremism. Your average person's not walking around thinking. I hope not thinking about these these things on a daily basis. Exactly. But uh, when they do come out, we we like to be here to try to. Um, 
shed light on these topics and try to provide as much uh, valuable uh, evidence-based research to, to, uh, to the public where we can. So let's wrap with this. I, I mean, I think that it would be valuable for people to understand uh, how groups like yours uh, or even individuals are helping people leave their extremism or their, their racism or their hatred uh, behind. And, and, and maybe a, a tip or two on, on how to have that conversation. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a combustible type scenario, isn't it? When, when, when you're confronting somebody, typically, uh, well, I mean, maybe a complete stranger is one thing, uh, especially if it's happening online. Uh, but in person, with somebody you truly care about, how do you have a conversation like this? What did someone say to you? I mean, you talk about your wife as an example, as an influence in your life. It's, it's compassion. I mean, that's where it starts. I think it's like, you know, we don't want to blame people. We don't want to attack their thoughts. We don't want to do those types of things out, out of the out of the block on trying to, if we know somebody has some uh, concerning viewpoints. I mean, it that's something, but I want to know why they got there, how they got there, and, and, and you know, what's brought them there to, to believe these things and that kind of thing. I also you know, talking to people about what they connect with in their lives, you know, it's their family, their, um, their jobs, their friends, their, their social well-being, their, their, you know, all of those types of things. Sometimes it's people, uh, you know, we get, we get lost in things. Um, we're going through, uh, times in our lives that are challenging. So we're looking for something to distract us from that. Uh, there's a lot of things as we know online that are available to distract us from reality. Um, and often uh, extremist uh, groups know that and they provide information uh, that's very surface level and folks get wrapped up. So we don't want to be why I say that is we don't want to be judging people for getting wrapped up. We want to ask them how they got there and, you know, try to help as, as, as much as we can and providing resources. And at the Evolve program, that's that's what we do. We have a multidisciplinary team that that we can uh, help families and, and folks that are looking to exit extremism. Uh, you know, in that sense, let me ask you this in closing, uh, a viewer by the name of Lauren is watching us now on YouTube in the chat. He says, Brad places himself in danger by exposing the mindset of these people. What was your exit like? Or, or is that a, an ongoing storyline? Do you place yourself in danger doing interviews like this? I mean, uh, fear is, is relative in a lot of ways. I think we've got to look at this as like, well, uh, for Canadians, we need to know about this. We need to know about these groups. We need to know about the damage that they do to communities, they do to individuals. So, you know, um, that's, it's, if people are wrapped up in these groups, I just, you know, I do want to say that there is a way out. You can get out. It's not something that you have to stick with. Um, and uh, for, for those communities that have been affected by it, um, we are here to to support them and, and help them get through uh those trying times as well. Well, we want to refer people again to preventviolence.ca uh, right across the top bar on the home page. You'll see a link to the Evolve program. Uh, it's a specialized interdisciplinary intervention program that provides direct support to individuals involved in hate or extremism, their affected family or friends, uh, as well as victims or survivors of hate incidents. Our guest, Brad Galloway. So grateful that you've made yourself available to talk about this, Brad. Thanks for doing it. No worries. Yeah. Thanks for having me in. You bet. We encourage you to give Brad a follow on Twitter as well. Of course, we link to all of our guests' profiles, uh, including our upcoming guest, Dr. Sajad Fazl, in just a moment uh, from our official account every morning at Real Talk RJ. Wow. 
If you're looking right now uh, to maybe take a step forward in your professional life or maybe it's personal improvement that you're pursuing, can we recommend Athabasca University? It's Canada's open university. You know, they've done a lot of work. They've got programs on things like extremism, human resources, plus cool stuff, artificial intelligence, machine learning. They've got science programs. They've got business programs, French language programs, whatever it is. The world-class accredited online programs and courses at Athabasca University offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You go to AthabascaU.ca, you click on the Getting Started link, and that's where the journey begins. You can learn more about admission requirements. Hey, what kind of student are you? What would be the best fit for you? Here's how to apply, and then even some financial support options. The open admission policy at AU means if you're 16 years of age or older, you will be accepted as a student. You can find all the details online at AthabascaU.ca. You know, I've referred you to Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food pretty much since this show began. And I think probably the most meaningful thing I can tell you is that we were customers of Grand Dog Essentials long before they were sponsoring this show. We believe in their product because we have seen the positive impacts it's had, that quality raw food in the lives of our beloved canine family members, Moses, our boxer, Monroe, our lab. If you follow them on Instagram at Grand Dog Essentials, you can take a tour into their raw food freezer. You can see how everything gets organized. You know, you place your order, they deliver it to your door if you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or central Alberta. And don't forget, when you visit granddog.ca, if it's your first time checking it out, the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first time order. Check out the supplements too. They've had a huge positive influence in the lives of our beloved pups. And before we get to our next interview, we wanted to remind you about an opportunity right now through the Canada Greener Homes Grant to take a $40,000 interest-free loan and turn it into solar. Sustainable energy goals being met in your residence. That's right. It's up to $40,000 interest-free, payable over 10 years, and Kubi Energy is making it happen across Alberta and BC. Solar energy solutions to power your life. You've been maybe thinking that there's a cost barrier to going green at home. Well, this directly is assisting Canadians in cutting down their environmental impact and cutting down what they're paying for power. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Well, oftentimes a a guest on Real Talk will wind up here because of of something that they've posted online. Uh, They've caught our attention. They've intrigued uh, us or at least certainly uh, prompted us to reach out because we believe that there's a conversation there to be had. And that's the case with our next guest. Dr. Sajad Fazl will be joining us in just a moment. Here's his Twitter thread from the other day. He says, you want to get my vote? Here's a thread for Canadian politicians. I don't care what your political affiliations are. What I care about is that you treat each and every one with respect, despite their social status, financial status, race, faith, gender, disability, or country of origin. I care that you understand that those who are privileged in society have a responsibility to assist those who are underprivileged. I care that you're courageous enough to make the right choice and better the world for generations to come, even though you may lose popularity in the short term. 
I care that you're willing to put partisan politics and cheap tricks aside to work together with those across the aisle and build a better future for Canadians. I care that you're kind, empathetic, and respectful to everyone you meet, despite their background, ethnicity, or affiliation. I care that you acknowledge there exists systemic barriers that disadvantage certain demographics in the population and that you're committed to reducing these inequities. I care that you understand the delicacy of creating policies, knowing full well that every decision has unintended consequences and that you're cognizant enough to create mitigating strategies. I care that you embody the mindset. You're you're there to serve the people, not for personal gain. That despite what your friends and families and supporters say, you do right by all Canadians, keeping the bigger picture in mind. I care that you understand earning trust and respect from Canadians of all stripes is your key to success. And if you meet all these criteria, you've got my vote. Dr. Sajad Fazl joining us live this morning. Thanks for making time for us and welcome back to the show. Thanks, sir. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here. We were speaking just yesterday, as a matter of fact, prompted as many times as our conversations are by an audience member who wrote in a guy by the name of Darren to talk about common sense politics. Uh, He actually said that he takes issue with the phrase. He says what we need is uncommon sense. And people can go back and listen to that email as he develops the thought. But you're certainly not alone in demanding more and demanding better from our politicians. What prompted this thread? I think, you know, looking at what's been going on in some of the statements coming from the leader of the Conservative Party, Pierre Polyev, and, you know, seeing a lot of mudslinging still going on, you know, since the last election till today, it's it's disappointing, right? It's disappointing, you know, especially people in my generation, millennials and, you know, Gen Xs, Gen Zs, you look at it and you're like, it's the, the politics isn't working necessarily, right? Um, we can see through the mudslinging, right? You, on, on one side, you'll have Pierre Polyev, like recently made a statement saying, um, you know, we are, vote for us, I'm paraphrasing, vote for us, we're trying to reduce the, the liberal inflation, right? Why, why use words such as, you know, liberal inflation? That's an inflammatory statement, right? It doesn't serve a purpose. Um, you look at the globe, right? You look at my country of origin, Tanzania, and you'll notice that even though they had no monetary policy to provide financial assistance, they still uh, are facing with inflation, right? It's a global phenomenon. So saying that it's liberal inflation, it, you know, it's just taking things out of context. Um, and if you look at what the liberals have done, according to me, being able to provide financial assistance was to mitigate the unintended consequence of the lockdown, right? The lockdown were necessary for health and safety purpose. And to mitigate, you know, the loss of income, they, 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 they were, you know, providing financial assistance. So, you know, using words like this and saying liberal inflation, it, it really irritated me. And it made me think that do politicians still think that using such inflammatory language is how they're going to win votes, especially in today's day and age you know i think i think canadians are more wise than this right and and i i i saw your your chat with uh, charles on monday where he said any politician that thinks so little of canadian common sense or canadian you know uh, as a community doesn't deserve to be in politics Mm. are you seeing it though i mean you, you you say that this is not right out your thread you say i don't care what your political affiliations are what i care about is this and then of course 
you're going to provide a jumping off point. And so you go straight to Pierre Poliev talking about his just inflation talking point. That hashtag just inflation did pretty well for Pierre Poliev. And I imagine that he'll continue to ramp that up so long as he reaps the political rewards for it. I would imagine you're not going to suggest that the other political leaders or politicians from other parties are squeaky clean. Do you see a problem across the political spectrum in Canada? Yes. I remember when, uh, this was some time ago now, when uh, there was a, there was a, an issue with uh, between, you know, President of the United States, former Donald Trump, and, uh, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Jagmeet Singh made a statement um, you know, taking a, a jab at, 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 at Trudeau. And, and, and I remember a couple of my colleagues were like, what is he doing? You know, like, why, why would you do that? Right? That's, first of all, it, it ended up badly on him. It backfired. So that didn't work. But it wasn't something smart to do, right? Why would you, you know, mudsling just for the sake of it? I understand it's a, politics is a blood sport. But I think what we really need, what we really want is politicians to act and work together. Um, and to take the bigger picture of, you know, they are there to serve Canadians. They are there to do what's right by us. Um, and, and, and even if it's something that they're looking at in the long term and, you know, short term, they may not gain popularity. They may lose some followers. So what? Right. As long as my children and grandchildren would say, oh, yeah, this prime minister did right by us. Right. Something like climate change. Right. You may lose some supporters um, in the oil industry, but as long as you're doing right. Uh, you know, by the population or by the gener- by future Canadians, then that's what you need to do, right? And uh, I think there is this misconception that goes on. Even when you see uh, politicians talk about policies, they'll focus on one area, not knowing that there's unintended consequences that they need to address when they make their speech. Can you think of an example? Like, is there one that immediately comes to mind there where, where a policy uh, along some lines may have had an unintended consequence along a different line and, and maybe one where you sit there and wonder, gosh, how did this not land up? You know, why, why didn't this wind up on anybody's radar? How did nobody see this coming? Yeah, I, I, mm, interesting. I don't have one at the top of my head right now, but I do, I do see the one for COVID-19, right? Something that I was very much involved in. Um, the lockdown policies were definitely had unintended consequences on people's finances and income. And you could see how uh, the Liberal government, you know, mitigated that or tried to mitigate that by providing financial assistance. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that the Liberal government is squeaky clean. No, they're not, you know. And, and it, it's always like when, whenever we go to vote, we're always looking like, okay, what's the least worst option, right? Um, but I, I hope we get to a point where we're like, What's the best option out there, right? What, where is someone who makes sense, who doesn't involve too much in this mudslinging um, and, you know, has the courage to say what's right and do what's right? You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried that we both know and this engaged, informed audience also knows the exact reason, uh, my friend, why we don't see politicians adopting the playbook you've proposed uh, because it's not as effective. And unfortunately, it might not be what people are looking for. You talk about politics as a blood sport, and I sure agree. I mean, look what works right now. Even look at the the language. This person will fight for you. This person will, you know, this person will fight Ottawa on your behalf, right? And then and then you look at what people like or respect in a political leader. What do you like about this person? They're a fighter. I like that they're a fighter. I don't hear a lot of people saying, I love their bleeding hearts. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And 
And you know, when I look at that, I say it's it's sad that it has come to that, right? Um, and I believe social media, the world we live in, has partly contributed to that, right? It's so easy, you know, to say things behind the screen, right? When you when you when you meet someone in person, sometimes you have more of a reflective thought before what you say. But when you're behind the screen, it's easy to sling mud. It's easy to say, you know what, you know, throw things out of context, use inflammatory language, insult people. It's it's so easy to do that. Um, and it causes further division. And, and you know, Ryan, what the overall thing that I fear is the amount of division it's causing within the society or within Canadians. At the end of the day, you need to have this dialogue and conversation with people who have different perspectives from you in order to move forward, right? And and the more we go away from this because of, uh, uh, you know, divisive politics, I fear that There'll be a time, you know, you, you see somebody on the street and you're like, yeah, and you have this hate and anger because because of the division that the politi- the politics has caused. And mm. that's that's the fear, you know, if, if we keep going down this time. I mean, look at what happened in the United States with the with the with the insurrection and all that. Right? It's because of the division and anger that's there. Right. It's because of, you know, polarizing politics that that has happened. Yeah, we talked to Dr. Piero Garofalo from the University of New Hampshire yesterday. He's an expert on Italy. Uh, he's an expert on, on Italy's history with fascism. Uh, he wrote the book on Mussolini's uh, reign of terror, essentially, and he was talking to us yesterday about their new prime minister. And he chimed in on, on what he sees coming out of the United States and what he forecasts the next couple of years might look like. And I, I know a lot of people, Canadians included, uh, kind of feel like they have their hearts in their throats a little bit. Have you seen, uh, Dr. Fazel? have you seen something? Maybe it's a, a politician. Maybe it's somebody seeking office. Maybe it's a story of collaboration. I was hoping to be able to bring up, you know, dental care for children living in poverty, but it looks like that one's uh, maybe, you know, seeing more political pushback than we might expect. Uh, but I thought that that might be an example of politicians working across the aisle to make something happen uh, for people that would desperately need it or the people that would need it most. Is there a story or, or a development or an occurrence that you've seen that that has restored your faith in the potential of politics? I think when you look at how on various policy issues, um, including during COVID, when it came to the fiscal policy, when it came to this early childhood education, um, you do see the NDP and the Liberals, you know, trying to work it out, right? And I, I'm actually a fan of the minority government, right? I, I feel, you know, we should always have a minority government. And I know some people would be like outrageous, you know, why, why are you saying that? But that's because it forces people to discuss and have dialogue and discussion. No one is absolutely right, right? Everyone comes from a different perspective, from a different mindset, right? I love it when, when you know, I'm, you can tell I'm a bit, you know, left-leaning. And I like it when I meet a, a friend of mine, many of them who are conservatives, and they challenge my opinions and thoughts and say, you know what, but this policy would work better or this um, scenario would, would work better. And then you have this dialogue and discussion and, and you try to sort of meet in the middle. And when you have these discussions where you have concessions happening on both sides, that's when you'll most likely have a very effective policy uh, because you, you, you are thinking of all perspectives and all scenarios. Before we thank you for your time, uh, I always appreciate these conversations with you. Uh, you you've always struck me as an optimist uh, and you've always encouraged us uh including your twitter followers to do better and i think we need to hear that message more frequently um you're a strategic leader 
in healthcare in the not-for-profit space. People can check out your website. Just look in the uh, the write-up, the description here on the podcast or on YouTube to find out more. Um, obviously, we're 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 not out of this pandemic. Uh, but as Sapria Devetti and I discuss in this week's edition of the Seriously uh, podcast, the, the, the mask mandate being lifted on airplanes, as an example, uh, demonstrates that a lot of people are mentally and behaviorally moving on. Despite the fact that people are still being hospitalized, people are still dying from COVID. We're not out of it. We know that. I want to keep reminding our viewers and listeners of that. But, but where are you at? How are you wrapping your mind around what you're seeing and, and the strains on the healthcare system and, and economic recovery? I'm asking you a massive question, but it's been a while since we've checked in. Uh, what are you seeing uh, through your experienced and informed eyes? Yeah, so you see, it, I think every public health practitioner uh, or researcher you speak to will tell you it's, it's, pre, it's, a little, it's, still, it's still a little premature, right? It's still a little premature because of the number of cases um, that are that are that are going on because the number of people who are being hospitalized because of the strain in the healthcare system. However, you know it is what it is. <laughs> we have to see the world for what it is. And as you said, I'm an optimist. Um, and uh, I think as long as each and every individual, you know, assesses the situation themselves and uh, and decides when they should wear a mask, when they should not wear a mask. I think we'll be we'll be pretty all right, you know. I I when I go to when I you know I'm outside walking the park, you know, you know I I don't wear a mask. Um, when I go to the grocery store, yeah, I do wear a mask if if it's on a busy day, you know. When I go to the mall, then I do. You know, when you're traveling, more likely, yeah, you should be wearing a mask. Um, there was a there are a couple of physicians who showed what would be a good time, a necessary time to wear a mask in the plane, and what would be a time where maybe you could lose in masks or you know during a taxi takeoff and landing probably you would want to wear a mask um, because of how much air change is happening so again you know i'm not giving a policy or a decision but i'm saying is think of it as if let's say you know you are in think of it how, how how you protect yourself in winter right you know it's flu season right you wash your hands you you maybe stay away from people who are you know who look who look unwell you maybe stay away from crowded situations so just think of it as in that scenario. Like just think, okay, you know, COVID still exists. How do I protect myself? Right? Think of crowd control. Think of ventilation. Think of maybe you know your close contact, who you know, who you don't know, who you're unsure about in terms of their interactions with others. Um, you know, wash your hands. So use common sense, and that's what I always come down to. Use common sense, and you should be pretty alright. There we go. Dr. Sajad Fazl is, uh, by the way, I should mention this. I should do you the justice of this. You mentioned uh, your home country of Tanzania. You were voted just a few years ago as uh, among the top 50 most influential Tanzanians. How cool is that? Uh, an expert in public policy and cancer uh, prevention, an internationally recognized public health professional speaker and consultant. You can learn more about our guest at sajadfazl.ca. It's always so good to see your face. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks, Ryan. Always a pleasure. You got it. Give the doc a follow. Appreciate that. There it is again. Common sense. Although I liked Darren's email yesterday about uncommon sense. I thought that was really strong as well. And by the way, Darren, if you happen to catch this, I want to let you know we received several private messages from people. They said, you don't need to read this on the air. Just wanted to say that email was bang on. So kudos to you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. That's what Kathy did yesterday as well, as a matter of fact. Uh, Kathy reached out and she wanted to comment on a comment 
that was made in our live chat. I read it yesterday. I kind of breezed through it. I think I read several comments in a row. One of them from Hawes, one of our regulars. And Kathy says, I, I was watching the show late, uh, like not live. Thanks for tuning in, Kathy. Appreciate it. Says Hawes made a comment in the chat that got my ire up. And it's been eating at me all day. Uh, to quote, he said, pushing too hard to the left has brought the far right crazies out of the woodwork. I remember the comment. She says, I, I would really like to know exactly what Hawes means by that. It says, what has the left been pushing for that seems so extreme? What, universal health care, dental care, livable wages, human rights, women's body autonomy, fair access to good education, affordable housing? Like, when did those things become too far left? Kathy says, I'm in my 50s. I've lived in Alberta my entire life. I've grown up and lived with right leaners from day one. And I can confidently say that the only time I've ever seen the right act out is when the conservatives aren't in provincial and or federal power. And I've never seen right wing extremism to this extent. So blaming the behavior of the far right on the left is a little like blaming women for getting raped. You know, I guess she just shouldn't have dressed like that, or I guess she shouldn't have acted like that. And, and it wouldn't have brought out the rapists. Please. Really? That from Kathy. And I love that Haas is in the live chat right now to be able to respond to this. Didn't give him a heads up because I have no way of contacting Haas. As a matter of fact, why am I even saying him? I'm pretty sure Haas is a him, but I don't know. We... I've offered to buy Haas a beer, I think, five or six years ago when he was tuning into my terrestrial radio show when they were tuning in. And we still have yet to make up on that, Haas. You'll have to take me up on that. Haas says, I didn't say it was extreme. I said it was too far left for the right wing crazies. Okay. Kathy's point is an important one about responsibility. And bigger picture about calling out extremism where we see it and identifying the root causes. I mean, this is all working together in perfect synergy, isn't it? Uh, bringing us back to the value of hearing from Brad Galloway earlier today. Still processing what we heard from him. Appreciate that. Lauren says, I'd say the Green Party is too left. Ah, not so quick. Not so quick. Uh, there's some, and I don't mean to be dismissive here. I was about to, nah, I won't say, should I say it? I'll say it. I can't stand people that do that, John. They say I'm about, and then they go, nah, I can't say that. And then everyone's like, just say it. Say it. Well, there are some right-wing lunatics in the Green Party too. The Green Party is kind of this cacophony of, I don't even want to get into it. That's, who cares? Who cares? The Green Party's polling speaks for itself. It's just not, it's not, it's not, their, their, their leadership is a disaster. Their direction is a disaster. Their policy is a disaster. Their vision is a disaster. Their board is a disaster. I don't know. If, if you're going to, if you're going to protest vote and, and, and with apologies to anybody that takes seriously their membership with the federal Green Party, uh, there are other ways uh, more fun ways, funnier ways to throw away your vote than to vote for the Green Party. Uh, maybe we'll hear from Elizabeth May on this, but I highly doubt it. Hey, before we go any further, because I do want to talk about graduated driver's licenses, this is something that hits home with a member of this team, and it's not me. <laughs> oh, Let me tell you about Park Power. I had a chance yesterday to hang out with their senior leadership 
with the CEO of Park Power, and I said, hey, what's the most important message for me to pass along to real talkers? And, and he says to me, well, obviously, with the seasonal change comes increased costs for a lot of people, right? Depending on how your home is heated, depending on how you run your affairs through the winter months, chances are you're going to be using more natural gas and, and maybe more electricity as well. So it's a perfect time right now to get ahead of that and to check out what you're paying right now for your utilities, including electricity and natural gas. Go to parkpower.ca. You can compare your rates, electricity, natural gas, internet uh, for your residents, your business, maybe your farm operation. If you have a solar system, you can check out their solar power buyback rates. Why not pay less? It's a simple question. It's easy to switch over at parkpower.ca. The promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks 10 no, it doesn't. I was going to say 10%. It's No, it's better than that. $70 off your first bill. That's $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, of course, the seasonal change impacts their workflow as well. It's not that they just kick their feet up and don't do anything for the next six months. Nope. They get their drafting materials out. They get their laptops out. They're, of course, ordering construction materials. Some of those through the supply chain can take months to get here. They're getting the appropriate permits pulled. They're going through your real property reports. They're making sure that when spring hits, you're not sitting there waiting to have your outdoor space brought to life. Don't delay. If you're looking at transforming your front yard, your backyard, whatever it is, in time for next summer, it's never too soon to visit landscapeedmonton.ca. Get in touch with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. At Westworld Computers, they want to remind you that they are overstocked right now on their MacBooks. That's the lighter-duty MacBook Air, the heavier-duty MacBook Pro. I absolutely love mine. And so there's great specials in-store right now you're not going to find anywhere else. Westworld Computers is your Apple experts. And they're also stocked right now with the Apple iPhone 14 Pro. It is pro beyond and it's now available you can shop online at westworld.ca and john before we talk driver's licenses why don't we talk drive-throughs at the dairy queens of north we are ready to show you how they roll that's right it's the cinnamon roll centers blizzard one of the stars of the new fall blizzard menu lineup of course there's also the wildly popular seasonal favorite the pumpkin pie blizzard you can pick yours up today at the dairy queens in palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road all right so our home province of alberta announced uh, yesterday uh, that the graduated licensing program and, and the road test for new drivers is set for an overhaul Okay, it's been in effect for about the last 20 years. This graduated driver's licensing program it was introduced back in Alberta in 2003, uh, which meant that new drivers with what we call a learner's permit or a class seven license would have to have a fully licensed driver seated next to them while they were driving, right? They can't drive between midnight and 5 a.m. and they have to have uh, zero drugs or alcohol in their system. So you don't get the 0 .05. You certainly don't get the 0 .08. It's expected to be zero, zero, zero. 
Now, to get a probationary Class 5 license, your standard driver's license, you had to have your learners or your Class 7 for a year, right? You then had to pass a basic road test, which cost about 150 bucks, and meet a number of other conditions. Well, the system's set to change next spring. They say it's going to cut down on red tape. It's going to cut down on cost. I didn't necessarily think it was uh, that big of a deal, or I didn't realize how relevant it may be to the average Albertan. Until my teammate here, the technical <laughs> producer of this show, informed me that just yesterday, <sighs> this was on your radar. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a GDL driver right now. So something happened. I moved here in 2008 from Ontario, and I got my license later in my life, like in my the start of my 20s. And uh, whatever license I had when I moved here from Ontario back in 2008, 2009, didn't add up. So they're Alberta's like, you're a GDL here. And I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, well, you can't drink. You can't, you know, you can't drive after midnight. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so I, I. So you had no idea. This was not something you were aware of. No. This was not, it wasn't on your to-do list just getting ignored. No. And then I, you know, I forgot about it. So it, it was like. A number of years and then i just recently <laughs> moved to Kelowna, bc when i moved to bc if you've had a class five no matter the grade for longer than two years you're automatically a full license so i didn't worry about it i just had a class five when i went to bc when i came back to alberta less than two years i was only there nine months from bc just this week i went and tried to switch my license back they're like you know you're a gdl still and i'm like what are you talking about? I've been driving with this for like 15, 20 years. And they're like, yeah, it's just the way I know the system's stupid. So I guess I'm a GDL driver again. So this is good news to me, but obviously I'm not going to drive for another two years as a GDL. I didn't know until I came back from BC, this thing hit me in the face again. So I have to go take this stupid $150 road test and pay to just upgrade. So Did you know that there's uh, almost 700,000 the government estimates about 700,000 other Albertans just like you driving John? with a GDL? Driving with graduated licenses. Wow. So you're not alone on this. Wow. Yeah. I now, feel I feel like a like an idiot, but well, well, whatever. I mean, uh, it was I, just a set so, of circumstances cuz I moved so many times through provinces that I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. Why why is this and even the lady yesterday said, this is all changing, so don't worry about it. So we just so I'm clear, like, had you been pulled over at, at, at five minutes past no, midnight because I have, or 10 minutes past midnight? No, I have been pulled over for nothing crazy. Like, like I got a speeding ticket once. At like, sure. I remember 1.30 in the morning. The, the, the police officer didn't say anything. So it wasn't an issue. He gave me a ticket, and that was it. Okay. One of the things I know that people will be paying attention to on this, and it will be relevant to everybody, but an additional road test will also no longer be mandatory to get a class four driver's license, which I think may be cause for concern. I don't want to immediately raise red flags and and, and start crying out here. And class four is the... Well, class four is like, uh, it's required if you're going to transport passengers in taxis, as an example, Uh, rideshare vehicles, so like Uber drivers, et cetera limos, small mm-hmm. buses, and ambulances. So I think they're thinking there, I was reading about this, is that it'll help the economy because there's a lot of people who, who maybe can't afford to get that license and who want to do it and, and who want to, you know, okay. be- benefit the economy. More limos, more whatever. But I agree with you. If you're transporting a bunch of passengers, you should probably be taking a specialized test, right? It feels like a, someone driving an ambulance <laughs> yeah. should take some sort of a specialized test. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, uh, a real talker, sent an email to us. He said, I don't know if you're going to mention this on your show tomorrow. Well, Jeff, here's an example 
of a real talker having an influence on the editorial direction of the show because your email put this on my radar. I started talking about it. John divulged to me that he's been driving with this, and then here we are. So, Jeff, we appreciate you today. He says the Alberta government announcing it'll be eliminating this GDL, the graduated driver licensing. It's been in place, as you know, since 2003. He says over 20 years ago, I went through graduated licensing in Ontario And a key difference between that province and Alberta is the advanced road test for your full license is not optional. You have five years from the day you get your learners to get your full license by passing the advanced road test, or you have to start all over again as a learning driver. He says, I believe had there been a deadline to pass the advanced road test, more people would have been incentivized to take it and GDL would have yielded better results when it comes to driver behavior and road safety. I did not like having to go through graduated licensing, but it taught me not to take the privilege of driving for granted. That from Jeff. Appreciate your perspective there. I agree there. Yeah. Yeah. It's I good agree. stuff. If they had been like, hey, you can't drive after this date. I would have gone and done it immediately. Obviously. I, I didn't even know it existed. Like, I didn't even know. Like, I don't hardly ever look at my license. And then when I brought it in the other day, they're like, you're a child. <laughs> you're being a little tough on yourself there, pal. Well, it's... You're being a little tough on yourself. Uh, but it is kind of funny. It's kind of funny that it's I, I mean. funny. <laughs> it's funny because it's not me. Every Wednesday. <laughs> like a lot of things in life. It's funny if it's not you, and then if it is you, tragic, and everybody should care about it, although I think you're taking this one in stride, buddy. When you've got 700,000 people in the same boat as you in a province that only has four and a half million. That's surprising. That's not too bad. That number, yeah. That's not too That's bad. Actually... Had Minister Prasad Panda said yesterday there are seven Albertans <laughs> that, are still are rolling, that are still rolling around, around clueless. We're going to get them. And one of them is John Hicks. <laughs> Out of Edmonton, uh, then maybe we'd have something to talk about. Hey, speaking of driving, wasn't that smooth? Every Wednesday, uh, we remind you uh, what lies in wait. I mean, the, the actual, uh, can I say the, the gems, uh, metaphorical, I mean, the literal magic that lies in Jasper National Park. It's my Jasper memories. Every Wednesday presented here on the show by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And uh, here's something I'll shout from the rooftops. The Jasper Dark Sky Festival is coming up in just a couple of weeks from now, October 14th through the 23rd. You have to check this out if you've not yet been. Across two weekends, everybody's favorite mountain town and one of the world's largest accessible dark sky preserves will sparkle with all sorts of events that, of course, celebrate the beauty, the art, the science, and the culture surrounding the night sky amazing events like symphonies under the stars helicopter rides planetarium shows astrophotography workshops there's like family friendly events like the drone light show they do rocketry demonstrations what and then in partnership with the telus world of science out of edmonton science fests they've got speakers coming in from all over the world to tackle some of the biggest topics within our universe you better believe they're going to be talking about hitting that asteroid the other day that new nasa mission the dart mission plus space tourism the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and even how ai is assisting interplanetary explorations 
space entrepreneur Emma Loudon is going to be there talking about Earth facing crisis like climate change and how space exploration can help in that. Rob Meyerson is going to be there, the CEO of Delaloon Space, how he turned his idea of an aerospace consulting company into reality. And then they've got their Science for Breakfast series, uh, including space historian Jonathan Ward, who will reveal the untold story of the lost Columbia space shuttle. Aquanaut Sarah Jane Powell also there. How do we survive on the moon? I mean, this is going to be mind-blowing stuff, and you can only take it in at the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. There's limited tickets available and limited time, obviously. It's coming up. So you got to go to jasperdarksky.travel to get your tickets. That's jasperdarksky.travel. The Jasper Dark Sky Festival happening October 14th through the 23rd. Well, coming up tomorrow, our friends at Local Environmental Services, you know them, keeping it local in garbage and recycling collection, uh, waste management, stuff like porta-potties, fence rentals, water hauling. They do it all. And every Friday, typically, on this show, they present Trash Talk. Well... We're off Friday. We're observing the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, which means an early edition of Trash Talk. If you've got something you got to get off your chest, make sure you send us an email before tomorrow morning to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Plus, on a special Thursday edition of the show, we're going to bring back our Alberta Municipalities Roundtable. I love this. We get three mayors together, and while they basically share with us the state of affairs through the eyes of municipal government, we expect different levels of government to work together, but we got to know what's going on to understand if they are or not. Plus, Dr. Andy Knight on Canada's claim to the Northwest Passage. Is the USA taking it back? Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.